0: warm September morning, not so long ago, a young mother and her bouncy little daughter walked hand in hand to the local elementary school. It was the first day of that school year, and the little girl was just beginning kindergarten, so it was especially exciting for her. When they arrived, the teacher walked right up to them and said, Well, good morning! I hope you're excited for your first day in the best kindergarten class in the whole entire world. The little girl giggled and shook her head. I'm Miss Marigold, and what are your names? The young mother smiled warmly and replied, hello, Miss Marigold, I'm April, and this is June. Miss Marigold chuckled warmly and then furrowed her brow in mock concern and said, well, if you're April and you're June, where's May? It was obvious that Miss Marigold expected giggles, but she got none. The little girl went suddenly still, and the air around them seemed to change. Cold carbonated feelings ran down Miss Marigold's chest as the blood rushed upward into her face hotly. May is gone, the little girl said. We don't know where she is now. We tried to find her, but it didn't work. Oh, said Miss Marigold, looking now to April, I'm so sorry. April smiled weakly and said it's okay we get this all the time. Um, May is June's sister. She disappeared two years ago while they were playing in the backyard. I went inside for just a second to get popsicles and when I got back she was gone. May was only seven and June was very little so she doesn't remember what happened. Then." Noticing that June was distracted by a caterpillar, she continued in a low voice. It's been so long now, with absolutely no evidence. The police think she's dead. The teacher went pale. She looked as though she wanted to say more, but whatever it was stuck in her throat. Miss Marigold, June said, breaking the silence. Yes, June, the teacher replied, noticing that June's eyes had begun to sparkle again. I think I'm ready for kindergarten now. She said, and ran off to the swings. I'm sorry to make the first day of kindergarten depressing for you, April said quickly, turning towards the gate. But before she could complete her escape, Miss Marigold said something that made leaving impossible. You know, she said loudly before catching herself and lowering her voice. This isn't the first time a little girl went missing without a trace around here. What? April said. Miss Marigold walked towards her so she could whisper. It was over 20 years ago. Her name was Bess. Bess was a beautiful child with long blonde hair and gray eyes. She was in first grade. Her mother was hanging out laundry one afternoon while she played on a tire swing. After finishing her task, her mother turned to ask Bess if she was ready for some lunch, but Bess was nowhere to be found. They never saw her again. April's heart was racing as Miss Marigold continued. They searched for 20 years without a single lead. Eventually her parents became completely exhausted and they requested that Bess be declared legally dead. After all that time, they just wanted to grieve. The court complied and Bess's parents purchased a plot in the local cemetery and a headstone. They held a small service for her and buried an empty coffin as a placeholder. Bess's parents used to visit the spot daily and then it kind of faded to whenever they were able to which isn't very often anymore and Bess's little plot got overgrown Bess was the town's child we all searched for her and pleaded with the public to help us find her so when it became too much for her parents we all agreed to care for her grave together but that's not the end of the story something has been happening at Bess's grave little things have started showing up but none of us are leaving them strange little things like something a child might collect marbles pop tops brightly colored broken friendship bracelets a glass teddy bear eye three black buttons april stared blankly at miss marigold it's been on the news i'm not just a crazy person the teacher went on the police are sure it must be the killer leaving them they think he's playing some kind of twisted game to get the town's attention back but i don't know maybe maybe you should go check it out the objects um they don't mean a thing to Bess's family we've asked but they could mean something to you thank you april said understanding what miss marigold was trying to say between her words and she ran out of the schoolyard She went straight to the cemetery, stopping only to buy a bunch of flowers on her way. Bess's grave was easy to find. There were police officers all around it and they did not look happy. April was familiar with those officers. She remembered them from the day she lost May and from many encounters since. She approached Bess's grave, telling the officers it was her turn to care for it. She placed the flowers below the headstone and asked the officers what had happened Apparently, after much testing and observation, they could find nothing to indicate where the little objects were coming from. Video surveillance showed them essentially falling from the sky. I thought whoever is leaving these things knows how to dodge a camera and they have incredible aim, one officer said. The mystery of the little found objects seemed unsolvable to them. But then yesterday morning, another cop said, I happened to stop by earlier than usual to check the tapes. And that's when I saw it. Saw so what? April asked. The officer told her he watched in disbelievement as a crow dropped a gumball-sized bouncy ball onto the grass right under Bess's headstone. It was clear with glitter and a ribbon of color in the center. Chalking it up to coincidence, the police dismissed it at first. But today, the first officer said, the crow came back with something else. What did it have? April asked. The officer opened his hand to reveal a tiny plastic top. It was something you might get out of a machine in the lobby of a diner for a quarter. He looked like he didn't know whether to laugh or cry. We've been chasing a trash hoarding bird this whole time, he said, and decided it would be better for everyone if he laughed. The detective said goodbye to April and tossed the top onto the ground. After they had walked a short distance, April picked the top up, put it in her pocket and left. She could give it to June, she thought. It seems like somebody ought to play with it. After school, June gave the top a couple of spins on the front porch under April's watchful eye until it tipped out into the grass and June, who had gotten bored, decided it was time for a snack. There the top stayed. Before bed, June remembered her forgotten treasure and cried because she felt sure another kid would take it. Well, we'll see in the morning, April said. It wasn't really ours to begin with. Maybe another kid needs a turn, June agreed. The next morning, April and June got dressed and set off for school. When they reached the edge of their front lawn, June noticed the top was still there, lying in the grass. Look, Mommy, it's still there, June said with delight. But the top was not alone. Next to it was the slender bent arm of a Barbie doll. June, please don't pull your dolls apart, April said in an exasperated tone they're not free, you know. That's not mine, mommy, June said. It's May's. April stopped walking. Her vision went soft and the hair stood up on her arms and legs. What? She said. That's May's dolly, June replied. What makes you think it belongs to May? April asked. Mine have all their arms, June said simply. Let's go. May's dolls were all in storage. After she had been gone for about a year, it became too painful to look at them. It was absurd to think this random arm belonged to May. When she returned from walking June to school, the arm was still there. April decided to pick it up, just in case. She put the arm and the top into an old shoebox and put the shoebox under her bathroom sink. Then, on an impulse, she ran outside and left a handful of peanuts from a can she kept in her pantry in the place where the objects had been. Maybe the birds were just hungry. Hungry or not, the objects kept coming. A bright piece of fabric here and there, a tiny purse, a Barbie leg, another Barbie arm, then the head. Everything went into the box. April discovered that the crows came very early in the morning. She would wake up before the sun had risen, make her coffee, throw whatever she had to offer her new friends into the grass where her treasures had previously been, and then April would sit on the porch and wait. Within a few minutes, like clockwork, every day. Crows. Every night after her family went to bed, April would lay the bits that looked like they'd come from the doll out on the bathroom floor and try to reconstruct this puzzle. She sewed the fabric scraps back together to form an outfit. She reconnected the arms, legs, torso, and head. She even brushed out its matted hair and reattached the little poof to its ponytail. Something in April just knew what this doll was supposed to look like. And then she remembered what June had said on the day the first arm appeared. May actually did have a doll that looked just like this one, but it was missing something and it was driving April crazy. Finally, April gave in and drove out to her storage unit. She knew the exact place to find what she was looking for. A stack of boxes marked May. April took a deep breath and ignored the pain these boxes tried to bring up inside her. She had a mission. The third box she opened was all Barbies. Pink and shiny, some of them a little soft from spending a whole summer in the heat. But the Barbie she was looking for wasn't there. It must have been one of the few things she threw out. So what do we do when we can't find an answer? Turn to Google, of course. After going through a good 10 to 15 key phrases, April found the right doll. And the only thing missing were her shoes. But what kid has ever kept track of their Barbie shoes? April was hit by a sudden memory. In her mind, she could see May using a fine-tipped marker to draw hearts or stars on her Barbie's shoes right at the spot where a bow might go. She did this so that if she brought them to a friend's house, she could tell which were hers when it was time to go home. You see, they all looked the same, and everyone always wanted them because everyone always lost them. But not May, she was so smart. Confused by all of this, April ran back into her bathroom and got the shoebox from under her sink. She needed to see the other treasures, the ones that didn't fit. Maybe they'd help her figure out whatever this was, Or maybe this was nothing and she needed to stop feeding wild birds, or maybe she had simply lost her mind. It was hard to tell at this point. April opened the box and sifted through the trinkets, marbles, pop tops, a broken silver chain that was once a piece of a necklace, a tiny brass ballerina, a few brightly colored beads and a ball of electrical tape. April wondered why she had kept that one. She laid the rest of the things out in front of her and absentmindedly began to unwind the ball of tape. April was struggling to grasp what any of this meant while she tugged at the tape ball. She found her way to two joined pieces of tape and pried them apart. A faint smell rose up. It was familiar, sweet and waxy, like vanilla frosting and crayons. Just then another memory hit. May loved one particular tube of lip balm. She always kept it in her pocket. It was vanilla frosting flavored and it came in a sparkly tube. She used to put on a hundred layers of the stuff and kissed little notes she'd leave all over the house. You could barely see the mark she was attempting to leave, but the smell was always unmistakable. As this thought developed in April's mind like a Polaroid, her finger hit something hard in the center of the little ball of tape. She picked at the tape with growing curiosity until something fell out of the ball and into her lap. April couldn't believe what she saw. A tiny pink shoe with a little black heart drawn on the spot where a bow would go. June had been right all along. This was May's dolly. The next morning, April rose bright and early and sat on the porch with May's Barbie in her hand and there she waited for the crows to come. like clockwork, just as they did every morning, as the sun came up, the crows arrived looking for their breakfast. This morning, April had left nothing. As they pecked around in the grass, looking for something to eat, April saw one of them had another little bit of silver chain. What is all of this? She yelled, and the crows stopped pecking and cocked their heads her way. They walked towards her, along the grass. It was strange to see a group of birds walking. Then they stopped walking and began to call. They called out louder and louder. The birds seemed to be yelling at her to do something, but April couldn't figure out what it was, and so she got up. When she did, they all took flight, and April raced into her car to follow them as they flew off. She followed the crows down the highway, through the woods on back roads, and out into the barren countryside. Somehow she never lost them. Or maybe they never lost her. She drove until the rambling countryside turned into long, flat farms, most of them long abandoned. The grass was yellow and the shady groves of trees were swimming in vines. Suddenly, the birds turned into a grove of apple trees. There was no road to follow, so April jumped out of the car and went after them on foot. The crows began to call out to one another again. Once again, it got louder and louder until the sound was deafening, and then out of nowhere, it stopped. April looked around. At the edge of the property, just beyond the apple trees, was a barn. There, she said, hardly able to believe she was talking to birds. Silently all the birds fluttered towards the barn in a swift but gentle breeze, and they all landed on its roof. There they sat, silently urging April on with their bright black eyes. She hadn't even noticed she was still clutching the doll. A group of crows is called a murder, April thought as she slowly opened the barn door. It was darker out there than it had been in the sunlight, and it took her vision a moment to adjust. April thought she heard whispers and the rustle of feathers. It was like both sounds were coming from all around her. She took a breath, steadied herself, and looked around. Littering the floor of the barn were children's toys. Some were very old, but some were not. All the toys were different, and yet they all had one thing in common. They were falling apart she saw a half a sack of marbles a teddy bear with one eye a doll with a dress that was missing all its buttons a music box with no ballerina to dance on its twirling spring april waited in the silence trying to process what she was seeing may she said quietly knowing it couldn't possibly be true may are you here Whispers crept from under the floorboards again, and April could now see movement between the gaps in them. May, it's mommy, she said softly. The whispers got louder, furiously swirling around her, and then they came to a stop and the barn went still. It reminded her so much of the crows. A voice came from below her. It was hoarse and unsure. The voice said, she's down here. There's a trapdoor in the floor about ten paces from where you're standing. You have to open the latch from the outside. We can't do it ourselves. April took a few steps, her heart full of hope. But then she stopped. Wait. How do I know you're not lying? April said. I don't know you. You could be lying. Silence hovered in the barn for a few seconds. So could you. The voice said back. April took a few more steps, then looked under her feet. Sure enough, there was a brass latch. She unhooked it and opened the door. It led to a short set of stairs that ended in a dirt floor. It must have been the root cellar. A horrible smell emanated from the darkness. Step back, the voice said again. They're coming up. April did as she was told. A little girl slowly emerged from the trap door. She couldn't have been more than eight years old. She smiled at April, and then ducked back down. Whispers surrounded April again, and then, from the trap door, ever so slowly, emerged a head of long brown hair. It was dirty and matted, and the face underneath it was dirty too, and a little bit older than she remembered, but she was unmistakable. May? April said in disbelief. May smiled and nodded. It's okay, she whispered to the bottom of the stairs. It's her. Five other little heads bobbed to the surface as May walked slowly to April. They found you, May said as the crows ruffled their feathers proudly. Yes, they did, said April, picking up the little girl and holding her tight. And you fixed my doll, May said. April smiled, unable to believe what was happening, and then she remembered where she was. What is this place? April said, looking around at all the broken toys. Prison, said one of the other little girls. We could only bring one thing with us when we were taken, said a third girl. April's eyes grew wide. There are so many things here, she said. The littlest girl pointed back to the basement door, and April looked down into the darkness once again, but this time a sea of eyes looked back at her. Who did this? April whispered. I'll show you, the original voice said, and slowly a frail and stooped woman with thin blonde hair that trailed down her back walked through the crowd at the bottom of the stairs. April walked down towards her with May still in her arms. The woman was tiny, like a girl who hadn't been allowed to grow, a cheap necklace that had clearly been repaired more than once with lengths of braided hair hung around her neck. The charm was a silver letter B. Who did this to you? April asked the woman, but the woman pointed toward a darkened corner and said, It doesn't matter now. April walked towards the area the woman had pointed to, letting her eyes once again adjust. The smell was overpowering, and the floor seemed to be alive and moving. Deep red sticky pools laid at her feet. Between the puddles were masses of unidentifiable carnage. The crows swarmed all around, pecking and tearing at it and through the horror, April could just make out the familiar white shape of a human skull. The woman walked up behind April slowly and put her hand on May's. It doesn't matter who he is anymore, she said, because he'll never do this again. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Leslie? hey holly hey fiends well it happened it did we're all living in a post barbie world now Ooh. yeah and i for one welcome our new pink overlords i'm excited yeah rule the world i haven't I- seen the movie yet
1: it's so good i know you went without me you i did invite Sil- me i did
0: invite you i couldn't go i <laughs> know you could not <laughs> I knew that I had to go with Violet, and then I also knew in my heart that I was going to have to go with grown-up women. <laughs> too. Yeah. So uh, she wanted to go, and we had a, a window, and I was like, you know what? We're just going to do it. We're just going to go.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, and I was totally right. After seeing it, I'm like, kids got something out of this, but mm-hmm. then adults got everything out of it. Nice. I just kind of wept from start to finish and didn't stop. But in like a good way. Okay. And then I came away from it like, I think I might be a better person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, I feel like a lot of people feel the same way. So, you know. Anyway, in the wake of the Barbenheimer challenge, which I could never do, um, ever, <laughs> we thought we'd offer up our own take on this situation. not going to ignore a trend we could hop on. What? (laughs) Now, the obvious choice this week would have been to cover the Ken and Barbie killers. Mm -hmm. Um, A case I forgot. And Leslie was like, aren't there actual killers (laughs) with that name? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I forgot that I hated that case. And it is one of the few that I can't even listen to on other podcasts.
1: So I'll never know what happens. Oh, you can if you want. I can give you lots of recommendations. No, I only find out things on this podcast.
0: Well, As everyone should. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it. That's the way it should be. Um, but anyway, we're not going to do that one. And also, that would be taking the easy way out. And they really don't deserve to be called Barbie and Ken. That's not their real names. Um, And they just don't exude any Barbie and Ken. They're terrible, horrible people. Especially now. So instead, I found a case that involves an actual Barbie doll.
2: Mm, Yep.
0: And in this case, Barbie may eventually solve it and bring the killer to justice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now that's what we want to see, right? Or here. You can't see us. (laughs) We don't need to see some hot blonde and her husband doing what I can only describe as the worst things in the entire world. Mm. No, thank you. So instead, this week, we are taking on a case uh, that has been touted as Utah's most famous unsolved murder. And a trigger warning, this one is about a child, and there is mention of sexual assault. It is not graphic, but it is mentioned. Uh, We're talking about the unsolved kidnapping and murder of six-year-old Rosie Tapia. This one is going to make you mad. It's going to make us all mad. But honestly, we should be mad about this. It's baffling that this case remains unsolved to this very day because it just feels like it shouldn't be.
2: Mm.
0: It feels like the pieces should be there to put together and it just, I don't know how they're still in the air. It's very, it's very frustrating. So that's what I'm talking about this week. But Leslie, you're ready with an in-depth look at Robert Oppenheimer and all of his work this week, right? Uh, (laughs) how, how in-depth, are you expecting? Oh, like, like in depth and accurate to the point of like several peer-reviewed articles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hmm Okay. Um, I think I came to the table with what might be called like a fluff piece. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay. Still, um, I still know way more about him than I ever did before. Okay. That's something. And I think everybody will learn a lot more.
0: And we'll complete the challenge. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I can't wait. I'm yeah. going to learn so much. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> we all will. <laughs> we're all in for learning something today. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, now that we're living in our post Barbie world, let's be honest, shall we? We all want to look cute. And sure. I I mean like like devastatingly cute all the time. Yeah. And we deserve it, don't we? Yeah. Of course we do. The only problem for us is that um we are tired. Yeah so tired yeah we're like so tired mm-hmm. the struggle is real and its name is be creative consistently for years mm. mine is tubbins <laughs> yeah yeah and that is very real as well um the struggle while internal does in fact drag itself all over your face i am so pale so dehydrated mm. so not cute right it's bad And also the aliens are here. We are absolutely never going to talk about that. (laughs) I'm just going to act like they're not forever until they take me away and put probes in my eyeballs and my ass. And then, then that's it. All my worst fears have come to life. (laughs) I hate the aliens so much.
1: Holly. What? They're just like us. They're just here visiting. Yeah. What are they? Aliens. Where are they? Around. Around? They just want to go to Starbucks. That answer is too vague. <laughs> they want to enjoy our cuisine, see our culture, learn about us. And we just haven't noticed them? I mean, you haven't. You've chose not to. You've you chose not to see them. And
0: what do your aliens look like? They're just around. <laughs> this is too vague. I hate it. <laughs> to ruin Starbucks for me. <laughs> anyway, I have tried every remedy known to humankind. I'll just keep moving, and none of them thus far have worked. However, I do remember hearing the legend of one magical ingredient that can take mm. care of all of our woes in one mm. shot, and that remedy is just a little pinch of validation—a hill worth dying on to get deep into the country this week.
1: Yeah. Well, I Got normally it. go
0: deep. Yes. And then you didn't. And you I, went went I went high. I went high into the country. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And best of all, Leslie, our fiends can give us this priceless ingredient totally free of charge. Oh. Yeah. How? But how, you must be asking yourself. Fuck yeah. I, I hear it. hmm Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention. Attention equals support. And support equals more and better content for all of you. I love it. It's nice. Yeah. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, and who could blame you? Don't worry. You don't have to. You can support us over on Patreon. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? Unforgivable. <laughs> there, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special minisodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us giveaway opportunities, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons, so come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. I love it. It's nice. It's Great over it's there. It's a good family. Yeah. And if all of that is a little too much for you, and I don't know why it would be. I don't know either. It all sounds great. But if it is, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, Share our posts, like, and share our posts. Yes. That's, yes. The, that's the one. That's the one you should do. You could also leave us a comment. Post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell uh, that mom who somehow always finds the time to make exquisite gift baskets for every fundraiser and also make a thoughtful keepsake for every child in class for every single holiday and milestone. I know we think we hate her, but it, it's really just because we ain't her, so... Let's invite her to the club, shall we? All right. What's her name? Charlotte. Charlotte. Doesn't she have Christmas lights that are out of tape, too? Charlotte she would night. never. Does, is that Charlotte? I feel like I it I don't might, think so. Maybe not. Because that would not be the same mom. No. All right. Maybe that's Charlene. That's the Charlotte F. <laughs> There's two of them. There's two of them. I also could have gotten her name wrong. Possible. But this that's is Charlotte. True. It definitely is. All right. Well. Then your friends and Charlotte, Charlotte F, or whatever she is, can become fiends and we can all hang out together. And I think that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Mm,
1: well, no. Okay. No, I don't think so. Great. Good. Wonderful. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, then. On with the show. Story takes place in 1995 near Salt Lake City, Utah. And before we even begin, I'm just gonna make it clear that there are no Mormons in this story whatsoever. Okay. Zero Mormons, you guys. It's not about that. We can talk about it later, but not today. Okay. Sure. Great. Moving on. <laughs> Every time I say Salt Lake City, because there's so much true yeah. crime about that kind of thing, <laughs> I immediately think like people are gonna be like, "Is this a Mormon case? What's happening?" Right. But it's not. Anyway, we're going to go back. It is uh, August 12th, 1995, in Salt Lake City. The weather has been hot, 88 degrees in the sun, but it's a dry heat, which we here in New Jersey know nothing about. But in Utah, it's dry. And in the evening, when the sun goes down, it is cool and mild from 65 to 70 degrees. It's like summer turning into fall all in 24 hours' time. Kind of nice.
1: Yeah.
0: And here it's just insufferable for days at a time. Yes.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it gets hotter at night.
0: Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but like it does. That was
1: t- tonight. It's hotter. And it, and it just
0: feels awful. Yeah. New Jersey's very confused. <sighs> we have the Pine parents. We just thrive in chaos and fire. <sighs> <sighs> so for this case, we are in the home of Luine and Roberto Tapia. Together, the pair have five children. When they got married, Louine brought with her two uh, daughters, so her two older daughters, Esmeralda and Emilia, and they were from a previous marriage. As the years after their wedding went by, Louine and Roberto had three children of their own, and they were six-year-old Rosie and a pair of four-year-old twins. Their names are not widely available, I'm assuming, because they don't really want the attention, and so we're not going to do that to them. Okay. At this point in time, um, Luene and Roberto's 18-year-old daughter, Amelia had moved out on her own. But the rest of the children were still all under one roof, so the house is pretty busy to say the least. Now, I don't have an exact age on Esmeralda, but I know that she is the oldest of them, so she's a few years older than Amelia. I'm assuming, in her very early 20s. Mm. On the night of August 12th, Luene and Roberto had made plans to go out dancing. Yes. I know. Their eldest daughter, Esmeralda, had plans to go to a bachelorette party that night, and I believe she was staying over somewhere else because, you know, you're not going to come home after a bachelorette party, probably. Um, so Luena and Roberto had called on Amelia, their 18-year-old daughter, to come and babysit for the three little ones. I know it's probably kind of hard to picture the area we're dealing with right now, too, so let me lay it out a little bit better for you. Salt Lake City is the capital and most populous city in Utah housing over 180,000 people as of the 2000 census, which is close to 95, so that's why I pulled that one. Mm. Um, And today, there are well over 200,000 people in Salt Lake City. But thankfully, we don't have to talk about the whole darn enormous city because like a lot of other huge cities we've talked about before, it is divided into neighborhoods. And these neighborhoods are really like cities in and of themselves. Right. And the Tapias lived in Glendale. Glendale has a population of just under 10,000 people today. So there were for sure less than that in 1995. This is essentially a small town inside of a big town. A town within a town. A town within a town, yes. Now, to give you an idea of what this place is like in a hurry, part of the movie The Sandlot was filmed there. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And if you haven't seen The Sandlot, I, I don't even know where to start. We should probably get you checked out by a doctor as I heard it's not super healthy to live in a cave for that many years. Which
1: is wild coming from Holly because she she doesn't do sports.
0: I don't, but the Sandlot is its own thing. I know. I know. It's not just for like baseball people. True.
1: It's a heartwarming tale. It is
0: a wonderful film about little boys playing baseball. Yeah. It's a coming mm. of age story. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, like do it tomorrow. You have to. So. Glendale is a working class place. There is a lot of diversity. The crime rate is not historically very high. It's located on the Jordan River and several of its canals. Did you know that Utah has 579 canals? I do now. Yeah. That feels like a lot. Yeah. Doesn't it? But Utah is the second driest state in the country. I don't know the first one. I should have looked it up. (laughs) And I think Nevada, maybe. That would be my guess. Okay. Look it up. While I'm doing this, find me the driest state. Anyway, um, and Salt Lake City is described as, quote, an arid mountain desert. <laughs> not nice adjectives. So, you're water. Right. I was? It's Nevada? Yeah, good good job. job, me. So, water comes at a premium. When you're somewhere really dry, you got to spread it out all over the place. And so, they built a lot of canals. Okay. The canals off the Jordan River are primarily used for irrigation, not travel. And as such, they are not super deep or super wide. In some spots, they're little more than a stream or a creek. And the water inside them is a mix of rainwater and river water, and it's not very clean. Most of them seem to be pretty mucky. So they're not exactly a place a place where people are like swimming or hanging out. They just kind of run through areas. Some of them are scenic countryside. Some of them are like very urban. And some of the areas are, it just goes through everything. It's just this little canal because they were built so that area farms could water their crops.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not telling you guys this for no reason. So keep it in your brain's back pocket. Okay. okay. <laughs> now, the Tapias lived in the Heartland Mountain View apartment complex, which is a large, large complex of apartment buildings. So they're like not tall. It's not like a skyscraper. It's just like a lot of little buildings. And they all have like common amenities. Like, um, I don't know if this one has still has a pool. It might have at one point. But they also have pockets where there's like little playgrounds for kids to go to and like, you know, probably a room to have parties or whatever. So it's a place like that. A party room. Yeah, party room. Cool. The Tapia's apartment was on the ground floor. And what that means is when you walk in the front or back door, because a lot of them had a front door and then a sliding glass door in the back, you walk into the floor with a living room and a kitchen. And then to get to the bedrooms, you go down a few stairs. So they're kind of like recessed, but not a full like full, full basement situation is just like a little bit. Think of like a split level house. It's kind of like that. Okay. But some coverage of this case call, says the kids lived in the basement. Right, right. It says that because they are below ground floor, yeah. but it's not a full basement. It is where the bedrooms are. So when you read it like that, a lot of times it seems like they kept their kids in the basement. That's mm-hmm. that's not what this is at all. It's, it's just underground level at some places. Yeah. So anyway.
1: Is that like a rancher?
0: No, a ranch just... is all one floor. This oh. is like a like those houses where a split level sometimes yeah, have an upstairs like, and a downstairs. Right, you just walk in and Yeah. Yeah. And but this one doesn't walk. have the up, it just has it the down. Da- oh, okay, okay. Right. So it's just a weird in my mind, it's like a kind of an off way of thinking of a house's layout. But this also comes into play later. So I need you guys to know that. All right, back to the story. So we're in this apartment in this little town in like the center not, or in Salt Lake City, but it's this little like town within a town. There's rivers and canals. Now you know where we are. So Amelia came over and saw her parents off just before dinner time. There is no exact time on this in any account of this story, but it does not matter. So the night, according to what everyone initially said, went very smoothly. And by the time Luine and Roberto returned home from dancing, They had a wild time. They got home at like 2, 2 2.30 in the morning. But they planned for this because Amelia was staying overnight and she had invited over a friend and her cousin to keep her company. So this was totally planned for. So they got home at 2.30 a.m. and everybody was sound asleep. The big kids, the little kids, everybody's out. So everything is quiet. And uh, Louine thinks, I'm going to check on the kids before I go to bed. Totally normal thing. We all do that kind of thing. Um, and it should be mentioned that the three littlest children, so Rosie and the twins, shared a bedroom. Then the master bedroom was Louine and her husband, and the remaining bedroom, Esmeralda had to herself at this point. That's the layout. So Louine goes in, checks on the babies. All three of them are in their beds sleeping. She sees them all. The window is closed. The blinds are down. Louine is feeling comfortable and probably the most relaxed she's been in a really long time because she just went out and probably had some cocktails and a really nice time with her husband. And then she went to bed. But Louine didn't stay relaxed. At approximately 5 a.m., she woke up in her bed for no reason. She just woke up and felt weird. So she laid there for a few minutes listening to the sounds in her home for a minute, thinking like, why did I wake up? Like, what happened? But she knew she felt weird and uneasy like there was a reason she was awake. The house was still and quiet, and her husband was sound asleep next to her, but still something didn't seem right. She couldn't explain it, but she knew she'd feel better if she just checked on the kids one more time. So Louine got up and walked quietly to her youngest children's bedroom. And the first thing she noticed approaching their room was that the door was closed. Now, Louine remembered leaving it open when she left the room after checking on them when she got home at approximately 2.30. Now, I've had kids that were that age at one point, and I know that sometimes they feel safer when the door is open. They like to feel like they can hear what's going on and that in their mind makes you feel closer to them. And if that was the case with these kids, then a closed door would be super weird. I don't know 100% that it was, but it's, it could be. Louine opened the door and immediately knew something was wrong, very wrong. The window was wide open. She then checked on the twins, and they were both sound asleep in their bed, but Rosie was gone. Mm. Yep. Upon further inspection, the window wasn't just open, the blinds had been removed and were laying on the floor, the curtain was ripped, and the screen had been ripped out. Remember, because of the apartment's design, the bedroom windows are essentially on the ground, which makes them very easy to crawl through if one is so inclined to do as much. Mm. Yeah hmm It would be very easy to get into this window because there's no climbing involved. Oh. You just duck down and go right in.
1: And there's other people in this room with her?
0: Yeah, there's twins. Four-year-old twins are asleep, still asleep in their bed. They never woke up. Oh. Yeah. So back to Louine. First, she looked around the room a little, thinking like maybe she's got out of bed and she's over there or something. No. And then she ran into the bathroom thinking perhaps the worst hadn't happened. Maybe she just opened her window for one reason or the next. Maybe she was hot. And then she went to use the bathroom. But the bathroom was empty. So Louine woke up her husband and Amelia and her friends and told them that Rosie was gone. The family launched immediately into action. I gotta tell you, these people, like, they did the damn thing. Yeah. They started searching the house to confirm that Rosie wasn't just hiding. And from previous missing kid cases, we know that kids are known to hide and that this is always the first step. The police will do that. If you haven't already, they always think a kid is hiding. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Amelia and her friends then left the apartment, um, just yelling her name outside everywhere. And they began knocking on doors. First, they knocked on the people they knew to see like, okay, have you seen Rosie? Did she come here? And then they just went to any door that people would answer. They asked them, had they seen Rosie? Had they seen anything unusual? Had they seen anyone lurking around? Anything at all? And no one had any answers. Back at the apartment, Louine called the damn cops. They did what they were supposed to do. And the cops sent out officers, or rather they said they were dispatching officers right away. And after they got off the phone, the Tapias immediately started calling their family, every family member that they could get a hold of. And this should surprise almost no one at this point, but the family worked a hell of a lot faster than the police. Mm. By the time the police arrived, the family had made flyers on their own computer with Rosie's photo and all of the information needed and printed out a hundred of them. They began circulating the apartment complex and surrounding areas, looking far and wide and posting or handing out as many flyers as possible. Now this is fast mobilization. Mm -hmm. Having a flyer that quick does not usually happen. The police, when they got there, were surprised to see that everything had moved so quickly. They're like, hey, you guys are going pretty fast here. Because, of course, police hear my child is missing and they say, oh, your child ran away 100% of the time. Now, upon first glance, so they walk into Rosie's room, they see the open window and they say, oh, well, she probably just like got out of her window. She probably wanted to go play because she woke up or something. And the family said, no, that is extremely out of character for our six-year-old, and would have been difficult for her to, because this is an upward climb, if nice. you're a little kid, mm-hmm. to get up and out of the window. So they really didn't think that is what happened. And upon. there was like
1: nothing over there, like pushed over there for her to climb out of. Well, right? there's
0: a dresser near the window, but it's a taller dresser, I think. And like, I don't, th- there are no pictures of the bedroom. There's okay. only a picture of the window, just the window. And then there's like a picture of, part of her bed but they don't show you the layout of the bedroom in its entirety Mm -hmm. there is a dresser that comes into play I don't know how high up it was I don't know if climbing out would have been something that was easy for her but I know that her family was like absolutely not she did not just climb out her window that's not a thing and they the cops were like well maybe she did and she got lost so let's have a look around But the police officer did go into the room, and they did start to investigate things. And upon further investigation, detectives discovered that Rosie's screen to her window had been pried out from the outside. Okay. Yeah. So there's a pry mark on the outside on the top of the screen where someone would have used a tool to take it out of its frame. That's not a little kid escaping, obviously. Ugh. And uh the blinds and curtains were clearly damaged during the break-in so they were still shut when the person came through the window which knocked the blinds down and tore the curtain. Mm-hmm. The dresser next to Rosie's window that we talked about a second ago also had a towel on top of it and on the towel was a footprint not a child's footprint a mm-hmm. full-ass person's footprint and a similar footprint was found on the curtains that had been torn to the ground. Rosie's bedclothes were turned down But the room hadn't been otherwise disturbed, and there were no signs of a struggle, which like, clearly there was no struggle. Twin four-year-olds were still asleep. Right. They wouldn't have slept through any kind of loud struggle. Right. And four is old enough, had they seen something, to have been aware. Mm -hmm. These are like kids that can speak. They're not babies. Right. So, and they both were like, we didn't see anything, so... There are a few reports that say that one of the twins remembers seeing a man with a beard, but it is not in every source. Yeah. I know I hate it. This is why are we doing this? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the thing is, that statement is the same statement in two sources and only those sources, and it never yeah. comes back around. And okay. the twins do not talk to people routinely. So I don't know how true that is. Every other statement and in every interview with their parents. They say the twins did not wake up. Okay. So I, I can't really give that a whole lot of weight. And there are a lot of little things like that in this case that took me a long time to wait out. So, okay. But I figured I'd mention it just in case. At this point, detectives believe, putting these dots together, that someone Rosie knew or had met before or had seen with people she trusted had entered her room and was able to convince her to leave with them. So because there's not evidence that she fought the cops were thinking she probably went willingly. Or maybe she had stayed asleep long enough for the assailant to carry her away because some kids sleep very deeply. Right. I never slept that deeply, but some kids do apparently. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Investigators also believe that whoever took Rosie targeted her because Rosie's bedroom window was right next to another window belonging to a second bedroom. That was her sister's bedroom. And the window to her sister's bedroom didn't even have a screen. So if you wanted to pick the easiest window, it wouldn't have been that one. Right. So if they're just trying to break in, that's that's not what you would have done. In addition to that, they only took Rosie and they did it between the hours of 2:30 and 5 a.m. And they worked super fast. A crime of opportunity isn't usually that organized or efficient. It's kind of mm-hmm. chaotic. Family was questioned and began giving formal statements. Police started questioning the neighbors, evidence was being collected, and officers were out in the area looking. But according to the Tapias, the police weren't really taking this as seriously as they would have liked. And I gotta say, that doesn't surprise me. They seemed to lack a sense of urgency and were still not convinced that Rosie didn't just leave on her own. They kept being like, she probably just left. I. I feel like I would strangle anyone that told me a six-year-old just like left.
1: I mean, at this point too.
0: I know. At approximately 10 a.m., Louine was um, talking in her home with an officer. And I believe that's what she was doing. This part's a little blurry. Amelia was in a police car on her way in for questioning. No kind of arresting or anything. She was Mm -hmm. just going to answer questions. Um, And Luene says she heard this on a police scanner. So I don't know if the family had one or if it was the cop's radio. Okay. Probably the the radio. I think it was the cop's radio. But again, there's nothing to clarify this. So Mm -hmm. it could be either one. They both hear the same announcement over the police radio. And that is that a woman's body had been discovered in the Jordan River Access Canal. Now, while the report claimed this body was a woman... Both Louine and Amelia knew right away that it was Rosie. Mm. Yeah. I think my mind would have been like, it's definitely not because they said woman. Mm. But they were like, no, that's her. It turns out that a few minutes before they hear this announcement, a man had been walking uh, down the canal with his dog. Don't don't go for walks in the morning alone. You're going to find a body. Never. Yeah. They went for a walk, this guy and his dog, every single morning. And this one was no different. While strolling along, the man saw what he thought was a large doll floating in the canal. Mm. It's never a doll. Right. It's never a doll. If you guys get one takeaway from, well, if you get one takeaway from me, it is that confidence is everything. But if you get two, (laughs) the the second one is that it's never a doll. Right. Not one time. And as soon as he notices this thing floating and stops to take a better look, his dog charges right for it. Mm -hmm. So he runs towards the canal calling the dog. Finally, the dog, he gets the dog's attention and it, you know, kind of reverts. It doesn't go into the canal, thank God. But now the man is closer and he notices that this object is probably not a doll. It looks like it's a human, like Mm -hmm. it's a real human person. And they are floating and not moving. Right. So he called the damn cops. Okay. I think he probably had to go home first because this was 1995. But who knows? Maybe he had a cell phone. Maybe. You never know. Police came quickly and gathered the body, and they said that they were able to tell two things. One, uh, they they didn't identify it from a family member yet, but they were pretty sure this was Rosie. She had on the same pajamas as she had gone to bed in that night. Mm. I know. And two, they said they knew that she had been floating down the canal for a few hours and that the body had already been compromised by the water. And investigators swear, to this day, both medical and otherwise, that the body was super compromised and so they couldn't get a lot of evidence from it. And I have issues with that.
1: Yeah, that's so strange. It's only been a couple hours?
0: Mm-hmm. She was seen in her bed at 2.30 in the morning. hmm She was found missing at 5.30 in the morning. This is 10 o'clock in the morning. They said the body is so compromised by the water that they can barely use it for certain tests. Now, we have covered a few cases that involve bodies that have been in the water for a lot longer. Yeah. And I remember I've done whole pieces on decomp in the water. Mm -hmm. I've talked about evidence and when it is compromised in the water, what a body would look like if it sat in a body of water. And never, ever has it come across my desk that within a few hours, the body's done. Yeah. Usually, what happens is they can use a lot more than you think they can. Mm-hmm. Usually they can find evidence way after the fact that most people would think it's gone. Right. So I still don't know why why this was like this right away. Right. I mean, it seems nuts to me. Yeah, like I know that it was
1: warm. Yeah, but even even in warm temperatures like the body you that's still pretty good for 2 to 3 days. Yep.
0: Now, I mentioned earlier and for a reason that it was 88 degrees and that mm-hmm. this canal is kind of mucky and kind of shallow. Okay. So if you're going to have bad water conditions, this is definitely bad water conditions. Yeah. However, it was not that long. Yeah. I mean, DCOM can speed up all at once, but within five hours or so, your the body is not pulp. It's still retained a lot of right. usability I and mean, I hate to sound coarse but like you know in a case like this that's what you want it just kind of blows my mind I mean we did the case of Katra Zawada where all they found was like a swath of her torso skin that had been in the water for days and they were able to get a ton of evidence off that eventually I know that's what's confusing
1: yeah and this is like five hours on the on like the high end but it might have only been like yes
0: yeah. Two hours at it, the most. Yeah. It absolutely could have been less. We don't yeah. know. And they, that's why they were like, well, we can never tell time of death or anything. Like, she's totally compromised, all done. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's what I said. And um, they don't go on to explain themselves for that at all, ever. And, and they, I, I don't know why. And they just never try? Well, I can, I'll tell you about the autopsy okay. in a minute because they okay. do carry out an autopsy. However, the fact that it is stated in so many places... That like, well, there's nothing more we could do. The body was just really compromised. Makes me upset. Yeah. Because there's so much that people can do with so much less than that. And I don't know what's happening. Especially
1: when they can identify her pretty yeah. much immediately. Yeah, they knew it was her right away. family came. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. So anyway. Okay. Luene's brother went to identify Rosie's body, which I think is a very kind act on his part to save his her parents from that. Yeah. After a positive identification was made and the family was notified or it was just kind of confirmed, an autopsy was carried out. Now, while that was happening, the investigators continued. And it was then that Amelia offered up a very unusual story. Oh. Yeah. After Louine and Roberto had left for the night, Amelia walked Rosie down to the apartment complex's playground so that she could play. And then Amelia went back home to make dinner. What? Yeah. She brought a six-year-old down there alone. And yes, she left her there. There were other kids on the playground. Okay. And this was the mid 90s when things yeah. were different. But also, I do find that kind of concerning.
1: <laughs> How old is Amelia again? 18.
0: 18. Yeah. Uh, Just the stupid
1: move. She might have. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe there were other parents there.
0: Yeah. Upon reflection, there are a lot of people who talk about this case that find that horrifying. But nobody at the time seemed to bat an eye at this.
1: I don't, I know. I think,
0: I think that was a
1: time. Yeah. And it was the apartment complex. Yeah. Like playground. Yep. Not. It's not a good move. No. Not by any means. But it was just
0: a move. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I thought, I I spent a lot of time thinking about why this seems so weird to us because I remember playing on my own younger, you know. But I think the reason it feels weird is that she wasn't meeting anybody and she didn't leave with other kids. She wasn't like, can I go play with my friends? Mm-hmm. Her sister was like, I'm going to walk you down the playground and I'll see you later. Yeah. I think that's why it feels a little off because when I was a kid, there had to be at least a destination and I had to know people there, you know? Yeah. But maybe she did. Well, like the no, there are neighborhood kids. kids. I mean, there's no like, no one has come forward to be like, yeah, I was there with my kid and I oh. knew Rosie and I said I'd watch her. There was none of that. Okay, okay. She just was like, find somebody to play with and come home when you're done. Bye. Mm. I guess. Or maybe she was going to walk down. I don't know. Anyway, then Amelia went home and started making dinner. But um, she wasn't alone for long because about 20 minutes after she dropped her off, Amelia was in the kitchen making dinner when she saw a man approaching her house carrying Rosie. I will also clarify this playground is not far. at all from the apartment. It's a very short walking distance. So the man knocked on the front door, which also blows my mind that she like saw him through the window walking, carrying her sister and did not run out onto the lawn. I would have been like, hey, what the hell's going on? Why do you have my sister? Yeah. She was like, I wonder where this is going to go. See a play out. 18 year old. I guess. So the guy knocks on the door and Amelia answers and the man says, "Uh, another kid kicked kicked her in the back while she was on the slide and she got hurt so I brought her home for you okay okay Amelia then took Rosie from him said thank you that she would check her out and then the man said goodbye Rosie and left Oh. yeah after bringing Rosie in and closing the door Amelia asked Rosie to show her where she got hurt but Rosie said I'm not hurt And Amelia asked, well, where did you get kicked? Thinking like, well, it must not hurt anymore or something. And Rosie said, I didn't get kicked. Okay. So then Amelia said, well, how did that man know your name? And Rosie said, I don't know. And then Amelia asked if maybe he was a dad or something. And Rosie said, no, he was just in the park alone, sitting on a bench. No. And then she went about her business. This story, while very widely circulated, was not fully investigated with any kind of urgency for like 15 years. This is that's wild, right? Yeah, I feel like that's wild, too. But um, I can I can give you a few reasons when we're all finished why I think it wasn't. Okay. But I'm going to let it lie for right now. That isn't even my biggest problem with this story, though. What the, what the hell happened there? Like, I would have needed way more answers than that. Why did she let him carry her home? If she wasn't hurt, why did this guy come and get her in the first place? Mm-hmm. How did this guy know where she lived? Had she talked to this man before? Did the other kids witness this weird exchange? Was anybody else on the playground? Did she tell another adult what the fuck happened? Right. No other questions were asked. That was it. That's all we know. Now, I'm not judging because I don't know their whole situation. But I would have fucking called the police right then and there. I would have been like, some man I don't know was carrying my sister home for an unknown reason. Yeah. I
1: mean, but also this is a girl that let her sister just go to the park by herself like from the beginning of it she's not making yeah yeah great choices and is just kind of like okay yeah like, I
0: just I would have whatever been like,
1: happened the situation's handled my <sighs> sister's home we're fine let's move on I have dinner to make yeah and there's a lot of other kids here that I have to deal with
0: yeah no and, I, and, and you're totally right I'm sure that she had justifications I'm sure that she didn't think anything mm-hmm. was awful I'm sure those are all true things yeah However, on the way on the other side of it, in my chair, it yeah. just looks like, "What the hell, man? Well, that's what I mean. you it, know it does feel that
1: way, mm-hmm. but that's like where I could see her like just maybe she's just in chaos yeah, right now and she's sure. just like everybody's home. We're okay. Yeah, maybe I should. And like maybe she was just like, maybe I should think twice of just leaving my sister down there.
0: Ooh. Maybe. <laughs> no. Police did try and locate this man, playground guy as he was called. Apparently, people had seen him sitting on the bench at the playground watching the kids. Occasionally, he would bring his guitar and play music, but he didn't appear to have his own kid and nobody knew him. So as you might imagine, all of the neighborhood parents were terrified. We will come back to Playground Guy, okay. but for now, we have to leave it at that. The autopsy results came back in very quickly. At first, detectives assumed that she had just fallen in the canal and drowned. That's what they told her parents. Like, oh, well, see if she had gotten out by herself. She walked down to the canal and drowned. Their parents were like, no. Right. None of that makes any
1: sense. But also, why are we still on that she got out? I don't know. Because they've already, They've already concluded that somebody broke in.
0: Well, one there are a few reasons for that. One cops always want to think that for some mm-hmm. unknown reason and I can't tell you why but they do. And the second is that she's not white. Yeah. So, okay. A lot of this goes what I imagine would be a little bit differently than it mm-hmm. would have if she were. I don't know that for a fact, but I look at some of this and I have I do have another case to compare it with, which we'll get to in a few minutes, but it just doesn't something just feels not right to me. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. You're probably. But I don't know. Anyway, so the medical examiner has a different story to tell. The cops are like, oh, her body's... Th-. The other thing the police said was, well, we think she just drowned because we can't see any, like, uh, marks on her body where she was injured or bleeding. Okay. Okay. But the medical examiner, duh, thinks very differently. He discovered that Rosie had been sexually assaulted and drowned. Okay. Yep.
1: So he was able to figure that out
0: on the body. Yeah, from the super compromised body for, where you couldn't find any evidence on. She had what he found some blunt force injuries, I believe, to her head, but their uh, actual autopsy report is not available because the case is still open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the information that I have gotten. Her official cause of death was drowning. And according to the medical examiner, and this is, this quote is taken from a detective who worked on the case, It appeared as though she had been sexually assaulted and then held under the water until she drowned. Mm. This is like I said, it's not super deep water. Right. Then she was left to float downstream. Now her fingernails were clipped and stored in evidence in case any DNA was underneath them and that advanced forensics in the future could salvage it. So a lot of times they'll do that. They'll save evidence in cases. They did do that, good. But in a terrible lapse in judgment, the police forgot to tell Rosie's family about those last two things, you know, like her exact cause of death and that they took the fingernails because they had evidence underneath them that they could possibly salvage in the future. And her mother did not find out those things, like um, that she had been held underwater. I can't say that enough because it's a horrible thing to find out this way, until 2019. Oh my God. When renewed interest in the case caused a TV show on Investigation Discovery called On the Case with Paula Zahn, who did excellent coverage on this case, she decided to cover Rosie's kidnapping and murder and reported those things in her coverage. And that's when Rosie's mom found them out on television
2: Oof.
0: with everybody else. And when they asked the police, like, why didn't she know? The police were like, I don't know why she didn't know. What? What? <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, great. Investigation continues, for what it's worth. Police say that there was no evidence whatsoever found in the vegetation around the banks of the canal. None of it even appeared to be disturbed. And since the police believe that Rosie's assault happened right on the canal bank, since she most certainly wasn't at home when it occurred, and since the time frame was so limited that there wouldn't have been time to go anywhere else, This was baffling to them. You'd think if some kind of horrible thing happened, you would see like broken brush and footprints and just stuff, right? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing was disturbed. Not even a footprint, which I also don't believe. And point of order. She uh, very clearly, in my mind, could have been assaulted in a car.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And if she had other injuries, like blunt force trauma, couldn't she have then been taken from the car unconscious? Right. Which wouldn't disturb anything either. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Shouldn't we then maybe have been looking for a car? Yeah. This theory is never mentioned though, so I assume the police have somehow ruled it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Or I wonder if it was like back at the park and there would have just been like a lot of footsteps and like, There isn't things. really a park. Or not well, like the
0: like where she was at, like the playground. Well they didn't. I mean, if they went there, this is just later at night. She's taken from her house. So. No, I know. I'm just it could have been. The, like a assault and all that The This stuff. all could have been anywhere else yeah. is what I am thinking here. Like, they, I don't know what the police landed on. She would have had to have been assaulted on the bank of the canal and then immediately drowned. But I don't see how that is true. Yeah. The canal is not far. It's like a walkable from their house. Mm-hmm. And she, and there's there's a couple hours it's not like it was within the span of 25 minutes. Right. So couldn't it that's why I'm saying like if they drove there it could have easily just been in the car. Mhm. But police give no credence to anywhere else, ha, any other locations. It is just the bank of the canal, that is the only option. Right. Okay. Doesn't that doesn't make sense to me, especially because the canal first of all is like a 28 mile canal. Mm-hmm. but you're only looking at a little tiny stretch of it right where she was found in the mile or so that she could have floated down it and they found no disturbances whatsoever so nothing happened there mm-hmm. there'd be evidence okay whatever essentially there was no evidence to be found anywhere we never hear about those footprints again yeah never again there's two of them preserved on fabric and we never hear about them again okay but the top is have to keep moving forward so they got their daughter's body back and they hold a service for her and they and the service is attended by what looks like their whole community obviously Mm -hmm. this inexplicable loss hit everyone super hard i mean it's a little child a lot of people knew rosie she was happy and vibrant and generally well-liked and clearly outgoing if like she was just fine talking to strangers and stuff out there in the world and so it was awful for everyone a few days after rosie was buried Lewine found something curious on her grave because at the time she would go every day, which Mm. makes sense to me. But a few days after she was buried, she found a Barbie doll. And this is not a new-in-the-box doll, not pristine and perfectly appointed. This is a blonde Barbie doll wearing a white t-shirt with pink hearts and pink shorts. She has shoulder-length hair and there's a pink bow in her hair, which is slightly messy, but still in its factory styling. And the doll is missing its shoes. Hmm. so it's not like a brand new thing. Right. Now, this seems kind of weird, right? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I've seen a great deal of photos of children's graves and memorials for this podcast, and they're often covered in toys. Yeah. People, especially other children, just want to lead them something that they would like, which is a pretty touching gesture. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. And this is a six-year-old girl, so I get it. But to Louene, this specific gift felt weird and off. There aren't a lot of toys on this particular grave. Mm. I don't see that. So louise said, I'm, I'm just going to keep it. Well, you never know. So she took the doll with her and kept it in a glass case. Because hmm. she was like, if this is evidence, like I have no reason to believe this. And I think she did tell the police at the time and they were like, people leave the toys. Just leave it there. But she thought, no, I don't know. So she preserved it herself. So they just told her that they might need it one day. Okay. And so the years went by. At first, the police investigated the residents of the Heartland apartment complex with some vigor. They told the public, and I find this to be a questionable move as well, that several residents of the apartment complex had criminal records, and maybe it was one of them. That's a good way to not make everyone in the apartment complex panic. <laughs> hey, there's there's criminals living here, so probably turn on each other real fast. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a do, good uh, right. Doesn't that seem like a, do a do terrible it? thing to do? Yeah, but that's what they did. They also then said that well, maybe it was one of them, or maybe one of these criminals has criminal friends, and they were here for a visit. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't know. Yeah. So now the apartment complex residents are on fucking tilt. Right. Right. The apartment complex tried to do a few things to help out, so they put additional locks on on windows, like in interior locks, and they um added more lights and they put put people patrolling. So they did add security to try Mm -hmm. and combat this because it seemed like at every point the police were just terrifying them. Right. Um, But they checked out all these residents and they all had an alibi. So it was nobody who lived there. Luine then brought up a little bit of interesting information as well. And this came up a little later on because it's something that you wouldn't necessarily immediately think was relevant, but then as time passes, you remember things. Okay. So... It turns out that Rosie had only been occupying that specific bedroom for about a month. Before she moved out, her sister Amelia used that bedroom. She shared it with her older sister Esmeralda for a time. And then when Amelia left, the three younger kids were moved in there and Esmeralda was given what I imagine to be like the smaller of the two rooms because she's just one person Mm -hmm. and there are three. I don't know, but that's what happened. And the room next door with no screen that went completely untouched, that was the one Esmeralda was in. So whoever took Rosie had to have known them pretty well to know that she had switched bedrooms. They're like, you wouldn't just know that was her room. If you just knew us casually, you would assume she, you wouldn't know that she lived in that one. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Or this person had to have stalked her for a while. Right. Which the police are also thinking that whoever did this probably was watching. I also, there are no pictures of the window before the break-in but it had curtains for sure. And they said it also had blinds. But it had children's rooms curtains. Yeah. So part of me is like, if any part of those curtains were visible, you'd probably suspect there was a child in there. Right. I don't know. I don't know what that would do, but it's just something that caught my interest. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So who could it be? Do we have any people of interest besides a random guy? Well, first they considered a friend of Roberto's. Um, one of his friends had a little boy who came over to play with Rosie regularly. And this little boy would have known which bedroom she was in. And there was another curious thing about this man, the little boy's father. When Rosie went missing, he was among the like first friends and family called to search. So he was mm-hmm. called in the morning and he, came, he showed up to go and search for Rosie with everybody. And he was in a group with a few family members. And when they were they were out looking you know around and when they started to approach the canal he seemed to get nervous and he said that they needed to turn around he's like oh we, we're we done let's turn around we got to go back now And it seemed to them like maybe he didn't want to go near the canal and it turned out that that was just like a handful of yards away from where rosie was eventually found mm. had they kept going they probably would have seen her
2: oh interesting
0: yeah but this man was investigated and with a very solid alibi, he was quickly cleared. So he really did just want to turn around. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so there has to be like other leads, right? Yes and no. In 1995, there seemed to be no one else to look into, but there were other girls who went missing. In fact, there was a girl who was abducted and sexually assaulted in the same apartment complex. Oh. Yeah, but this story feels weird to me and you tell me what you think. A woman in the apartment complex told the police and the news media, you can see the interview with her on the news, that her daughter had been kidnapped and raped, but the girl managed to escape her attacker and run back home. Now, inexplicably, after hearing this, this girl's mother went to the apartment building manager with this information, who told her to keep quiet about it so nobody else got scared, and she did. I'm sorry, your kid was raped and kidnapped. And you didn't call the police because the apartment manager said not to. Now, in my mind, either this story isn't totally true or there was a reason that this woman could not have an encounter with the police. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Either way, this girl's attacker or supposed attacker was never found. Yeah. None of that was confirmed.
1: I mean... I'm also just getting the vibe that, like, maybe the police don't care so much about the people in this apartment complex. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yep, yep. there's a lot of that. Like, there's there's just things that seem crazy to us. Mm-hmm. People are like, no, who's going to do anything about this? Like, my daughter's home. Yep. I don't know who the attacker was. They're not going to do anything.
0: Possible. We don't have any more information on this little girl or this story. I mean, it doesn't exist anywhere. That's why yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how much of this is real or not real. Right. I can't confirm it anywhere. But this was not the only other girl. And some of you might recall the case of Sierra Newbold. One town over, and the border of these two towns is close. So okay. it's not even a far distance. And 17 years later, six-year-old Sierra Newbold was kidnapped from her bed as she slept. Then she was sexually assaulted and drowned in the same canal where they found Rosie. (laughs) I know. Sierra's killer, however, was pretty quickly recovered. He was caught on the home's security camera, entering through the sliding glass door and exiting carrying Sierra. The man's name was Terry Lee Black, and he lived a very short distance from the Tapia's home as well. According to KSL.com, quote, On June 29th, three days after Sierra's body was found, Police say Black stole a Jeep Grand Cherokee from the Deseret Industries parking lot at 7166 South Redwood Road. The vehicle's owner told her boss about the stolen vehicle, according to court documents. Black then entered Wells Fargo Bank at 7869 South Redwood Road and attempted to rob the bank of $100. Meanwhile, the boss, who was told about the stolen vehicle, happened to go to the bank at the same time to make a deposit and spotted her employee's missing Jeep she confronted Black in the parking lot. The woman told him to get away from the car, charging documents state, and Black walked away and the woman took a picture of him with her cell phone. When police were called to the bank for the stolen Jeep, they just used Bigelow. I, I think that this is an investigator that was assigned to Sierra's case, like possibly the lead investigator. Realizing the bank was in the general area of Sierra's home, decided that he should be there too. Quote, he had this sixth sense that a lot of cops have, Officer Diamond said. As he put it, when he heard this call come, the hair stood up on the back of his neck and he knew he needed to respond. When Black was stopped by police, they learned that he lived in an apartment complex near the canal where Sierra's body was found, and that would be also where Rosie's body was found. Bigelow also noticed that Black had debris on the knees of his pants that looked like it could have come from black soot in a field where Sierra's pajamas were found. A fire had burned the field and two homes in the neighborhood just days before Sierra's death. Black was wearing the same clothes he had been wearing three days earlier, he didn't even get changed, Mm. when he allegedly kidnapped Sierra from her home and took her to the burned-out field. At some point, Black apparently bent down on his knees in the field, police said. Bigelow was keen enough to recognize the ashes and soot on Black's clothing and make the connection. Sierra's body and clothing also had soot from the field on them, according to the charges. Later, forensic tests were conducted, and prosecutors say Black's DNA matched DNA found on Sierra's body. Mm -hmm. Body that was found in the same canal. Right. Found the DNA on it. We're able to match it up. Weird. Yeah. Saying Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to me like it wasn't that first guy's rodeo. He walked right into a house and snatched a kid. You don't just, like, get that confident real fast. In October of 2018, Terry Lee Black used an Alford plea to admit but not admit that he was guilty and was given a life sentence. We have discussed this before. An Alford plea means that you recognize that there is enough evidence to convict you, but you will not say that you are guilty. Okay. He has since been—a lot of times—I got to go back for one second, but a lot of times an Alford plea um, is to get people out of death sentence. Yeah. Anyway. He has since been questioned about Rosie Tapia, and he did get a life sentence. I don't know if I said that or not. He got life. Um, And when he was questioned, Terry Lee Black refused to comment. Oh, I don't
1: like that either. I don't either. What does Amelia have to say? She doesn't recognize him? No. I mean, so... All the other people that, that are like, this guy sits and plays his
0: guitar. Does he play guitar? So now here's the thing, but we don't know if this playground guy is the guy that took her. We don't know. I, know. I know, but that would
1: be convenient. Is he like making albums in prison right now with his guitar? Yeah, we
0: sure dogs? we sure don't know. But that's not the only girl in that area that went missing. We all remember Elizabeth Smart, right? The girl who was kidnapped and held captive for nine months in Salt Lake City? Yeah. Yeah, she was taken from her home by way of her bedroom window as well, and she lived just 20 minutes by car from the Tapia's home. What the fuck is happening in Salt Lake City? Mm. And none of these people are Mormons, so we can't make that connection. So this happens, I guess, there sometimes. And then there is the oddball information and missteps in this case, and there are many. First of all, there is the absolute shit show that is Playground Man. We're coming back to him now. Okay. Originally, back in 1995, the police claimed to have located this guy. They were like, we found him. They said they found the guy who hangs out at the playground and plays his guitar. And they did. But it turns out that that guy has a son that he brings there to play and just sits on a bench while his son plays and plays the guitar. You know, like a normal person doing a cute thing with their kid, not a creep who's kidnapping anyone.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that guy, the guy that they see sitting on benches playing the guitar, he is not a creep and may not be the same guy. We don't know. That's the thing. This guy isn't the Pied Piper of guitars. He was just there with his kid. Anyway, and that guy had an alibi too. He was on a bike trip with friends. And he didn't come back until long after Amelia had encountered this man at the door. But police just said he was probably lying because he did a good deed and didn't want to be recognized. Mm. I swear to God, formally, formally, that is what the police said. They said, we found him. He's a guy with a son. And he lied to us about doing a nice thing for a little girl who got hurt because he was too nice to want to get credit for it.
1: No. No. And also, okay, so it's 1995. If it was today, I could see a guy feeling like, I can't even say that I brought this little girl home because everyone's going to think I did something.
0: But in 1995, you better not be carrying a little girl home.
1: That wouldn't be happening. The guy would be like,
0: I have a cell phone and yeah. we're just going to figure this shit out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to like yell
0: for a woman to come any, around. Any other parent here. Any other yeah. parent. Yeah. If I'm a rando without a kid to be like, I'm here with my kid. I'm yeah. definitely picking someone you know, else. That father would be like, excuse me, uh, babysitter. Please yep. don't leave your child here with me. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> it will not be. But this man this. was so nice. That he couldn't even admit how nice he was. I know, that's 1995 for you. He just had to look like he committed a crime. Yeah. Fuck that. And also fuck that for this guy's sake. This guy didn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, so then a long ass time goes by and they they kind of like poke around with this guy. They're like, well, he could be this other person. He could be this other person. But really what happened is they had no idea who he was. No idea at all. They have a very rough description of a super skinny guy with a beard and sunglasses, or maybe not a beard. He's like whitish. It's the vaguest description of a human being ever. And the sunglasses really kind of kill it. So in 2010, 2010, a composite sketch of this mystery man is finally made. Yes, you heard that right. They didn't make a sketch until 2010. And it was because a pretty famous sketch artist donated his time to do this. Not because the police insisted on it happening. Yep. Yep. This is 15 years after the crime. 15. Yeah. So police then released the sketch to media, which you should do right away, but they didn't, hoping to locate him and believing he may be responsible for Rosie's murder if he was real. Because they don't even have confirmation that this event happened. Right. Nobody saw a man carrying Rosie. Nobody saw him take her away from the playground. There is no confirmation that any of that happened. And some people, including Jason Jensen, a private investigator who has been working tirelessly since 2016 on this case, some people like Jason and some other authorities think that Amelia wasn't always totally honest. You see, when the bedroom that Rosie occupied belonged to Amelia, she would sneak her boyfriend in through that very window all the time in the middle of the night. According to this guy, the boyfriend, whose name is Danny Woodland, quote, I was waiting for the police because of the situation with me going in that window. I was just shocked that the cops never came and called me or anything. Hmm. Okay. He finally did come forward with his information. uh, I believe this is in 2016. Danny Woodland said he got a phone call from a friend that he used to hang out with during that time period. The call came after the creation of the latest composite was reported exclusively on ABC4 in March. And this is from an article that I will put in our links this week. At the time, only partial images of the composite were released. So great. The sketch is finally there. They're only giving you partial images until the police had a chance to investigate it first. Because remember, this is a private person Mm -hmm. to the sketch. The friend, Danny Woodland says, made a comment that wouldn't it be funny if it looked like one of us, Woodland said, referring to the friends that hung out around there, especially me because of sneaking in the window. He said his friend and others would drop him off. Woodland said his friend knew about that window. Yeah, yeah, he saw me climb in it, Woodland said. But Woodland said that he never saw the friend climb through that window, but he did come inside through the main doors when their parents weren't there. Which also leads us to the fact that Amelia had people in the house when her parents weren't home. Mm -hmm. Not totally uncommon for a teenager, but she did. We don't know why she moved out at 18 either. It's kind of young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her older sister was still living there, but it is what it is. Yeah. There is speculation that Amelia had a party that night, and Rosie went missing as a consequence of that, but there is no evidence to support this theory. It's just a theory. Jason Jensen also believes that Amelia had gang ties with the local gang and that it's possible her sister was taken in an act of retaliation. They either thought the room belonged to Amelia or they went in there specifically to send a message. There is no evidence to back this up either.
1: Unfo- it's like a rough, weird message from a gang, though, I feel like. Mm, no.
0: You, you don't think? I mean, it's rough, but I, I have no idea what it would have been in retaliation for. I have no idea. That's the thing. We don't know.
1: That's just like a little, I don't know. That
0: one one doesn't, I don't. I know. It seems like kind of a reach, but this private investigator in one of the articles I read said that he, that that she had gang ties. That's all I really know. I don't know. That one doesn't seem like it would
1: match. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, of course. I don't know a lot about
0: gangs. Me neither. (laughs) I didn't take the hood tour, so, you know. Who knows? There is no evidence to back up this theory, as I said unfortunately, Amelia also passed away rather recently. She was sick. Mm. And she remained steadfast until her dying breath that she had shared everything she knew about her sister's tragic death. Wait, but she that's a yum. Yeah.
1: For her to pass away.
0: Yeah, they said she was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and then she died. And so, and the, it's listed as natural causes, which can encompass many different things. Mm-hmm. So she could have had a serious illness. She could have had issues with addiction she could have had and then they resulted in like heart problems or Mm -hmm. something there there's there's any number of ways that she could have passed at such a young age but she did and her mother said that like even on her deathbed she was like I don't know anything else why wouldn't I tell you and we just kind of have to believe her you know
2: and
0: maybe she maybe she really did tell the absolute truth and did everything in the world to help maybe she did there's also a little tiny nagging bit in this investigator's mind and in others' minds that maybe she didn't. Yeah. Because the story about the guy on the playground, too, it's, it's like intensely vague. hmm And even if it is 100% true, which they're investigating it as though it is, and I hope they fucking find the guy. I really, really, really do. But there's always gonna be that tiny little itch that's like, well, why is this so vague? When you were, he was in front of your face talking to you. Why can't you tell us anything about this? Right. And why did nobody else see him? And why did he just like disappear into the mist? Like what? That's mm-hmm. always gonna be something people ask. It just is. So we don't know. So in 2017, a sketch of playground guy was re-released in an attempt to uncover who he was, but that also yielded nothing. As of now, no one has been located. But I will make sure that we put the sketch in our photo suite and that we get it out there in all of our stories and stuff. And I want you guys to definitely take a look at it. Although I will warn you, I think all police sketches are really vague looking. But this is incredibly vague looking. Mm. Like, it doesn't even really look like a real person to me. And the guy who did it is world renowned. So he definitely worked as well as he could with the information he was being given. So... Anyway, but what about Barbie? Right? Back to Barbie. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, first I have a question. So the the boyfriend that would come in the window. Yes. So what was he trying to say? Was he, does he believe that maybe one of the
0: friends? Yes. I'm sorry. That was a little bit vague. He said that he had a, so here's the synopsis. He had a friend that would drop him off there really late at night and watch him crawl in the window. Mm -hmm. And the friend, when the sketch came out, called him and was like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if it was one of us? Mm -hmm. And then he was like, except for it really looks like that guy. yeah it looks like him and he knew where that bedroom was and yeah. that you could sneak into it.
1: yeah, that's what I'm
0: thinking yeah so he was like so maybe it was him. We don't know. yeah
1: but I guess it is also strange unless that that there's just almost an identical killing like yes. 17 years later I if guess. you
0: had if I had to answer this, Right now, and I'll do the Barbie stuff in a minute. I promise Mm -hmm. it does come back into play in a big, weird way. I would probably look at that guy more. I would probably try and get some DNA from Terry Lee Black's case and see if I could match Mm -hmm. that because it's so close.
1: Well, don't they have his DNA? Yes. So, okay.
0: But her body was so compromised. Right. They can't find anything.
1: Right. Anything. Except
0: Barbie. That's right. So, we got the Barbie doll, right? The Utah police refused to have the doll DNA tested. They're like, no, this is nothing. It's, we're not, oh we're God. not touching test it. The just goddamn test the fucking doll, right? Oh I know. Seriously, God. you haven't been able to solve this case in years. Oh. Just
1: test the fucking doll. How much money is it to get it tested? Can we just like Well, give a private this-
0: organization funded it. Okay. So, <laughs> don't worry. A private group co-founded by Luene Tapia and a few others called the Utah Cold Case Coalition has decided to go ahead with the testing independently. According to People Magazine, here is a very long quote. And I'm going to have to explain it a little bit afterwards. The group paid to get the DNA extracted from the doll, which included male DNA, Porter says. Uh, And that is a woman named Kara Porter, who was one of the co-founders of this coalition. So, The group believes the doll, known as Pretty Hearts Barbie, could be a valuable clue in the case, and they're hoping someone will come forward with any information on who may have left it there. Quote, we thought we'd give the public a chance to say, I left it there, or hey, that was my doll, it went missing. Now I know where it is, co-founder Kara Porter said. According to Porter, they have received numerous calls about Barbie dolls left at grave sites for other murdered girls, including some in other states. She didn't know if there was a link between the cases. The timeframes we've been contacted on are fairly close together, although in different states, she says. Could it be the same person? I don't know. Could it be a certain type of predator? We don't know. Now results from these tests have yet to be shared. But what I do know about this test is that it was difficult. They had to do this whole process where they like put water in the Barbie doll and they extract DNA through like the water that Mm -hmm. they pull out of the joints in the Barbie doll because Barbies are like way more hollow than they used to be, you guys. And, and it was super duper complicated, but we know that that happened and that is all we know. Oh, man. That was in 2019. This was going to happen and we don't have results. However, we also don't know if they used that DNA for any kind of testing. We only know that they were able to extract it. And then there's the little nagging question of why do these professionals who they contacted and one of them eventually was um, an extremely famous A woman who has has used DNA to convict, like, very famous criminals. Why are they giving, why are they taking this seriously? Okay, so the Barbie doll must hold some kind of weight, right? Well, it turns out that they are focused on what they said are several other, like, criminals who have a fixation with Barbie dolls, one of which was a man named Robert Eustace who kidnapped a two-year-old girl named Elizabeth Bradwell in 1997. And he was found guilty of this. And when they found him, they found a shrine full of Barbie dolls and pictures of JonBenet Ramsey. So, oh, God, this case is just... I know. I feel like it could be anybody. So that is another connection that is possible. And apparently there are other criminals that have a thing for Barbies. And we don't know exactly who they are. And then... Now, this is not in any article. I'm so
2: uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> it's really creepy. This is not. This is okay. So this is my, will be my last little bit on this. This is just in like a random Reddit thread. I. I. It's not a fact. It's not. No, investigator said this, but someone said, "What if the DNA they are looking for on this doll doesn't belong to the killer? It belongs to Rosie." So what if they're trying to see if she had ever, like, been somewhere and had this doll? And I was like, that's fucking interesting. Because they're implying that, like, someone had been playing with her or something. Mm. Like, that's how she would have, like, known some person that she was just playing with, like, when she was at the playground by herself. And that that's who came in her house. And that's how they knew where she lived. And that's how they knew what room was hers. And that's how she trusted them. Because she'd been talking to them when nobody saw it.
1: Hmm. I don't like any of it.
0: I don't like any of it either, but I think that that theory is very interesting. I think there are a lot of theories that are worth more weight than they were given in this case, honestly. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's where we are right now. I will put up the website or the the Facebook groups and the websites and you guys can look at um any other available facts. There really Unfortunately, there aren't a lot. There isn't um We don't have the case file available because it's still an open investigation, but I will recommend On the Case with Paula Zahn, um, and I will post a link to that as well. It was a very thorough coverage, and it has the most video of the locations, so you can see what I'm talking about. And yeah, honestly, you guys, I hope more than anything in the world that at the end of the day, this case is solved, and Barbie comes through and does it. Yeah. I really hope. Me too. Okay, Leslie. I've upheld the Barbie end of this double feature, right? Oh, so let's cheer everybody up with Oppenheimer. He's a fun guy, right? He just did cool stuff. He's fun. Such a fun guy. <laughs> Such a
1: fun guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, hold on. I need to breathe through that.
0: Oh, no! Okay. <laughs> You're usually the one that's so, like, solid on these. I'm usually the one that can't do them, and you're like, I'm okay it's on like these. like a home invasion, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. Ugh. I know. It's gross and terrible.
1: Ugh. All right. Okay. So, we all know about the hot new Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer. So hot. Explosive, one might say. Yes. It's all about... Julius Robert Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Not Julia Roberts. I first read it the one time. I was like, Julia Roberts. Roberts. I was like, she's in this? (laughs) Her last name was really Oppenheimer? That's so weird. (laughs) Or like her take on
0: Oppenheimer. (laughs) She plays all the characters. She plays Oppenheimer. Yeah, exactly.
1: Anyway, during World War II, he helped develop the first nuclear bomb. He was in a rush to get it finished as he was Jewish and felt like the Nazis were going to get there first and then wipe out the world, whereas he wanted to wipe out the Nazis. Mm-hmm. They finished the bomb. President Truman said, OK, let's bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki first, forcing Japan to surrender. That's like a whole history thing you whole guys thing. can like get into. Um, Oppenheimer was now thrust into the spotlight as the father of the atomic bomb. But instead of feeling any sort of pride, he felt a lot of remorse. Yeah. The horrific destruction and all the fatalities caused by the bomb haunted him. He advised President Truman to stop any other nuclear weapon development, Uh, but Truman rejected his advice, believing that it would make America and himself look weak. Weak. Oppenheimer continued to urge the end of nuclear weapon development, believing he started a chain reaction that would destroy the world. Unfortunately, half his colleagues turn on him and call him a communist, thus Re- ruining his reputation. Everybody was a communist then. Yep. Um, just when all seemed lost, a group of Kens came around the <gasps> corner to cheer him on and speak highly of their dude, Oppie. And after some beautiful mansplating done by at least five Kens, the world no longer believed Oppie was a communist and did believe he wanted to make the world a better place. Um, Is that what happened? I think I'm mixing things up. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I watched the
0: movies and... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, oh no. In a weird order. <laughs> Maybe that was a dream. Ken does overcome some serious toxic masculinity, so. Okay,
1: okay. Um at least he did a good job. Yeah, for sure. But either way, you guys can go see the movie and find yeah. out how it ends for Oppenheimer. Oh. Um But
0: yeah, so I don't think I want to. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I think I like that ending. And I'm gonna yeah. just that's <laughs> it. <laughs> um but okay, Holly. Yeah
1: so who is Who really is Oppenheimer. Julia Roberts Oppenheimer. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And I don't mean the actor who played him. Yeah, that guy. Cillian Murphy, right? Cillian? Cillian, yeah. I mean the real J. Robert Oppenheimer. Well, lucky for you, I was able to go back in time (gasps) and grab an exclusive Tiger B interview with Julius. Or Oppy, as I like to call him. Okay. All right. Abby, can I call you appy What is your sign? Oh my God. They were so cute with him.
0: Yeah. No, this is me. This is You me. are yeah. so cute with him. Yeah. Okay, you did the tiger I meter. did this. I you went got back in time. Oh, I thought you found it. You conducted it even better. I went, mean, yeah. Oh, you're amazing. I met him. I did all this research. I had to go meet the man. Obviously. And you were just like, <laughs> beep, boop, beep, and did it. I know so much about you now. Okay. And he wasn't creeped out.
1: No. He just thought it was fine. Well, he didn't know. Okay. Yeah, he pretty... thinks I, I dressed up. I'm in the 50s. I love it. For <laughs> the whole look. I, I you're borrowed... pregnant, so you just
0: had on a caftan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I
1: borrowed my American Girl doll Molly's outfit. <laughs> With back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Oppie, can I call you Oppie? What is your sign? Oppie is fine. My Dutch comrades call me that. Well, I was born on April 22nd, 1904 in oh, New York no. City. So... I guess that makes me a, a Taurus. Oh. And ladies. So close to you. I know. And ladies, that means he is hardworking and very committed to his goals, ambitions, and loved ones. Feels true. Yeah. Feels mm-hmm. accurate. Abby, where did you go to college? Harvard University for my undergraduate. And then I also went to Cambridge. I didn't really like it there. Um, oh, I don't time. want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shady, but fine. Cool. Okay, uh, did you have a favorite class? Yes, I loved learning languages. I learned six different ones. Greek, Latin, French, German, Dutch, and Sanskrit. Sanskrit? Yeah. Boy. I know. I especially loved Sanskrit and continued learning more about Hindu philosophies, specifically ideas of cosmic cycles, the interconnectedness of all life, and the nature of existence. Sounds fun. Neat. You're a blast. Besides learning languages, what else do you like? Hmm, well, I like rocks. Rocks? Yeah, rocks. I used to collect rock samples in Manhattan and the Hudson River Palisades as a boy. When I was 12, I was using the family typewriter to correspond with a number of well-known geologists about the rock formations I had studied in Central Park. One of these correspondents nominated me for a membership in the New York mineralogical club which i accepted and then it was just 30 pedophiles well and then they sent another letter inviting me to deliver a lecture before the club my parents said they would drive me the thing was up until that point that this club did not know i was only 12
0: (laughs) (laughs) is the common thread people dropping you off places they shouldn't drop you off (laughs)
1: <laughs> they were surprised, to say the least. I had to stand on a box to see over the podium. I did get a round of applause for my speech, though. I'm sure you did. <laughs> well, isn't that cute, Oppie? What's something else that we would be surprised to find out about you? Oh, I don't know if I want to tell you. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay. Well, I like to write poetry. Aww. And I even got published once in the Harvard Literary Magazine. Hound and Horn. Oh my God, we have to hear something. Oh, I don't know. My poetry is not really meant or fit for anyone's perusal. This was a quote from him. Oh, okay. (laughs) But you can look for that poem in Hound and Horn if you want to. Oh, we're going to do that at some point. It's long, so I'm not going to read it. Hound and Horn. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) So we know you as the Zaddy of the atomic bomb. Okay. (laughs) But what has been the highlight of your career so far? Well, honestly, I love teaching. My favorite job would have been to be, would have to have been when I was the professor of physics at the University of California, Berkeley in 1936. I love my students. They loved me. It was great. We worked on a lot of theories and papers together. One theory we had was about neutron stars and black holes. Unfortunately, other scientists aren't getting much out of our papers, but I truly believe there are black holes. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Oppie, you get credit for that one day, though it's well after your death. But we do learn black holes exist
0: and that you were the first to theorize about it. Way to go. You're a blast. What if his answer had been like, my favorite part of my career is bombing? Yeah. Thank God he didn't say that. That would have been tacky. It was not. No. He hated it. Yeah, that didn't go well for him. No.
1: So, a little birdie told me that there's a little tension between you and Einstein. Mm attention. No, he's my buddy. We both recognize the moral and ethical implications of our scientific advancements and are concerned about the development and use of nuclear weapons. However, I got offered that job to oversee the Manhattan Project at the Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico. And seeing as the Nazis are really gathering allies and are said to be developing their own nuclear weapons, I felt it was my responsibility to help our country win that race just in case. Albert and others really didn't want me taking the job. Just because we could make a nuclear weapon doesn't mean we should. But Nazis are the worst, so I had to help in the only way I knew how. Okay. And are you happy you took the job? No. I feel fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Oppie, that's some truth. It's okay. Mm-hmm. On a happy topic, how's the wife? <laughs> She's good. She found out about my affair with an old flame, but we are going (laughs) to, but what are we going to do about that, you know? Anyway, she comes, she's home with the kids today. I think she's making a casserole for dinner. Oh boy. You have a mistress? Had. She killed herself after everyone found out. They accused her of being a communist, which only led to some colleagues also believing I was a communist, which is... What got me canceled? It wasn't the fact that I was the destroyer of worlds that bothered people. It was that I just might be a communist. But yeah, her name was Jean Tatlock. She was the daughter of Berkeley Liter- literature professor and a student at Stanford University School of Medicine. I met her in college and we dated for a while, but then she broke broke it off with me, probably because I was a putz. But Bleh. then I met up with her again years later. I'm just like super sad about how everything shook out.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, them, them businesses, guys, everybody wants a piece of that. Yeah. 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 All right, Abby, let's do a, like
1: a little lightning round. All okay? right. We're going to wrap this interview up. I took up too much of your time as is. You're very <laughs> busy. <laughs> Got things to do. All right. What's a habit that you just can't quit but probably should? Mm, would cigarettes be considered one? I smoke a lot. Yeah, seeing as you're gonna die of throat cancer in a few years. <laughs> I would say that's a good one. I'm gonna die of what now? Oh, <laughs> oh, right. Um abort. Okay. Uh time time to switch it up. Dogs or cats? Yay! <laughs> Turtles. Oh. Hanging with the kids on the weekend or working in a lab. In the lab. All right. Yep. The Everly brothers or Chuck Berry? Oh, that's a tough one. Oh shit, you really got him. <clears throat> I'll say Chuck. Okay. Ooh. Oh. I'm see that guy. <laughs> If you could win an award for your work, what would it be? Well, the Nobel Peace Prize, of course. I was nominated thrice, but never won, even though 18 of my colleagues won for the work I did with them. Bullshit. Not petty or anything. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What's your favorite color? Cerulean. Oh. Okay. All right. What's your... uh, Devil wears Prada moment. Yeah, right? Describe your perfect date. Uh April (laughs) twenty. it's close to my birthday and you only need a light jacket yes. perfect no no no. he says a late night working at the lab come home to a warm dinner my wife hands me a drink and then she leaves and my mistress comes in well I had and then and then she gives me a blow job can I say that no, we're going to, we can edit it, though. Bobby. So here's the edited version. Okay, okay. Dinner and drinks with the lovely wife, Kitty. Yep. Yep. Sure. That's it. What word in the English language do you wish you had invented? Galoshes. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. It's a fun sounding word. How do you dress your hot dog? <laughs> ketchup a little mustard and relish I wanted him to be like <laughs> a little bow tie in a hat yeah. <laughs> 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 that would have been better yep okay finish this sentence happiness is a thing called work lots of work Blech. no bombs cool well we love a man who loves to work thank you for your time today I gotta be getting back to 2023 bye bye enjoy your throat cancer see you later <laughs> wow you Amazing. you had a really eventful visit yeah i mean he was the heartthrob does he look like then? julia roberts um yeah a little a little bit a little a
0: big T. little in the cheeks
1: yeah okay all right yeah they are you know big. he's not a bad looking guy
0: um, he looks terrifying in the movie. And Killian yeah, Murphy gets, is also not totally terrifying, but he looks real yeah, scary. Yeah,
1: but I mean, at a certain point, like he's just working with like, I don't know how he didn't get cancer from like the radiation. The radiation? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But he should have like glowed in the dark. I know. But, um, you know, when he was a little fuller and like probably getting warm meals from his wife who didn't know he was cheating on him at the time. <laughs> and his mistress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when he was having, when he was satisfied all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) He was a little, a little more full. But um, yeah, Um, Killian Murphy was, he's a good, I think he was like a good pick for the role because it does look like him. Cool. But there's a couple cute little photos of the guy. I was like, right, okay. But he was interesting. This Oppie? whole story is wild.
0: Yeah, he's a lot more involved than just like a little, I just thought it was a fun, you did a very good job. It Thank was a fun tag team <laughs> thing to do just because. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've read some Oppenheimer stuff just because I was like, do I want to see this movie? The answer is no. Um, I guess. Which is so funny because the answer was more like, yes, that's a man's life. That's a wild. It is nuts. But yeah. I. Uh, it's also so much from what I have read about like the existential crisis that comes with opening that can of worms. Yeah. The moral of that story is like, well, we started the the ticking clock that's going to kill us all. Yeah. I can't watch three hours of a movie about that. I can't do it. How are people putting that in the same time span as Barbie? I left Barbie and I was like, I'm a better person. I can't leave that. I would leave that movie and be like, all people are horrible and we're going to die in a radioactive nightmare. But they were doing it because they thought it was right. Was it though?
1: Well, that's what they're saying. It wasn't. He regrets it. it.
0: But he did it anyway. It's done. It's done been done. Yes. (laughs) But that's what regret is. You've done it. However, this regret is so large of a scale that I just can't fathom it. And I don't want to think about it. All right. What would Barbie say? Not anything about that. Okay.
1: (laughs) She doesn't. No comment.
0: Well, she's very intelligent. And every Barbie is very intelligent in different ways. But I don't know that she'd want to. I gotcha. I think she'd be on my team here. Okay. Barbie would say if a woman was in charge of that, it wouldn't have happened. Right. That's what Barbie would say. Cool. We would have weighed the consequences and chosen no. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) That is met for tea. (laughs) We would have talked that shit out and been like, this is going to end badly. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, we would have talked to Alfreda Hitler. (laughs) Because it would have been a girl. There would
0: have been no Hitler. Girls would never do that.
1: Well, I'm just saying we would have realized that they were just like jealous of a look. Right. Right. And just been like, girl. You look good, own it, be you. Yeah, it's and be fine. Like you're right, you're right. This is I all done. I just dumb. want to do art. Mm-hmm. It might be a little gay. Yeah, and I should be fine with it. Yeah, I should stop any of these ideas. Yeah,
0: perfect. It's okay for me to like blondes. Mm-hmm. I don't need. Without the whole, making the, the whole world, world blonde. blonde. Correct. Yes. Even yeah. though I am not, in fact, blonde.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> I could just be with the blonde person. Yep.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's okay. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we did it. That's all I got. Yeah. And if we spent our days chain-smoking while working in a lab on a project that is so morally complex we've yet to grasp all of its repercussions,
1: we we would would be be dead. dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod, And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Abhi, what else do you like? Hmm, well... I like rocks.